This week's episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is brought to you by avgearguy.com. If you have any photos or documents that you need to scan or videotapes or audio tapes or film rolls that you need to import into your computer, check out avgearguy.com. If you mention the name of this podcast, when you order, you'll get 5% off and a portion of your order will go to help support the rant room. All these formats degrade over time and are sitting ducks in the case of fire or theft. Why not convert it all to digital? All of your memories could be stored safely on the cloud or on a hard drive that fits in your pocket. AVGearGuy.com has over 30 years of experience with all kinds of media, digital and analog, and they can accept orders from anywhere in the United States. Don't forget to mention the Screenwriter's Rant Room and get 5% off your order. For more details, visit their website at avgearguy.com. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriter's Rant Room, where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, and we keep it what? 2020. Yeah. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Today, we're about to give you guys a new one. It's a bonus episode, a part tour, or two-parter, as you might want to call it. Um, So I recorded um, a really cool event um, for screenwriters and TV writers on Sunday with the one and only um, series creator, showrunner, Mark Blutman. Um, We had an awesome, awesome time with about 16 um, writers of all different ages and sizes and colors and uh, we dropped a bunch of game freaking three hours worth of game for them um, so I'm gonna drop this for you guys in two episodes um, so I hope you guys will enjoy um, just another special shout out to Miles Warden for coming through and helping us out with the pod I mean with the um, with the event <clears throat> and um, organizing everything on zoom and working out the sound and like all that stuff and the, the flyer he put together for us to help us promote it. It was awesome. So anyway, I hope you guys will enjoy this and um, keep on listening to the show. Keep spreading the word and um, wishing you guys all the best and love during this whole Rona time. All right. Peace, y'all. Enjoy the show. I'm going to say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room. All right. Down at the bottom, I've, we just have pictures. Miles, how can we just have pictures at the bottom but not the people? They may have gone. There they are. See, oh, there uh, we go. All they right. Just, just Warren, for the <laughs> you are up. You are unmuted. Hi. Hi. Um, thank you for doing this. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm Lauren. I'm from Michigan originally. And now I'm Wolverines? 
<laughs> yeah, Wolverine girl. Like, not one of my kids is all Buckeyes all the time. <laughs> but they've You're also had their way with the Wolverines lately. <laughs> you haven't been relevant since a guy named Tom Brady, but whatever. Anyway, I didn't get an harmonious note, but okay. Um, <laughs> So I live in Los Angeles now. Um, I work as a story producer in reality television, unscripted television. Um, I work on game shows sometimes. Um, but uh, I'm a writer. I have two polished samples. One's like a drama, an hour-long supernatural drama, and the other's a half-hour animated comedy. And um, I'm working on another half-hour like uh, single-cam comedy for adults. Um, the thing is, people who have read my samples, they tend to love them. But then when I start talking about my background in unscripted television, they get a little squirrely. Um, because I've been out here like 15 years, so I have a pretty lengthy resume. But basically, I'm trying to make the jump from unscripted to scripted. And I, I don't know... How to go about that? Because every time everybody hears like, I mean, and I've not worked on like just the janky shows. I've worked on good shows like, you know, Big Brother. You know what I mean? But like anytime people hear unscripted, they go, oh. And I like, I, I haven't even been able to get a job as a, as a PA. Like I can't even get people coffee in scripted because. I think I, think I have something for you. Um, <clears throat> so I remember, as you know, you probably know. Um, like the um, Dr. Phil show is a Writers Guild show, right? So what's that? Oh, I was thinking um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So a couple, about two years ago, we were having, I was running one of the meetings and Lena couldn't come and Michelle and Moore couldn't come. <clears throat> so I was running one of the meetings for the black committee. And when it was over, I'm, we, we kind of hang out a little bit. Miles knows this, Miles, Miles Prisha. And so we were hanging out and I noticed in the corner there was these two writers. And they were two young, they were two young writers and they'd never been there before. So I walked over, introduced myself <clears throat> and we start talking and they both were writers from that show. And they both were like, well, we haven't really wrote a script yet, but we really want to, blah, 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 blah. We really want to get in the scripted. And I said this to them and I put this girl in tears in a positive way. It was like a, it was happy tears. I said, you know, I come from the indie world right, where I've made my own projects or was hired to produce projects, whatever. And what I've learned from that is that other indie producers know way more than the younger staff writers do about the set, about production, about everything. I'm the type of guy that as I keep growing up and, and, and getting my shows, I would be looking for somebody like you. Number one, here's why, and Mark could relate to this. So when you get on a show, let's say we get into production, let's say 10 weeks in, we get into production, right? <clears throat> and so writers start going off to write their scripts, right? Eventually, people start going off to um, produce their episodes. Well, eventually, that 10 writer room comes down to like three or four writers, right? That's where the assistants in the room start coming in the room and they start helping, right? It would save me time and money if all my writers were gone. This is me speaking as a wannabe showrunner. Mark can speak as a real showrunner. This is just what I would do. Like every time you're in a room, you're going, okay, if I was running a show, here's what I would do. This is what I would do. I would look for somebody like you who I could hire as a staff writer, who I could also send to the set and not have to worry about you. 
because you've been on a million of them. You know what I mean? And as opposed to hiring some co-EP who I have to pay 20 grand a week for, for example, I could bring you in and I know you know what you're doing. I can get you for a little bit less and I could get the fact that I can trust what you do. You, you, you've been through those battles already. You know what I mean? And you can learn at the same time. I'm sorry, co-EPs in scripted make 20K a week? I'm, I'm spitballing. I'm oh, okay. <laughs> some shows, some people do. Um, oh. so, 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 you know what I mean? So I'm just saying that whatever, if it's, it's 12, 15, whatever it is, um, you could find somebody for a lesser pay to help you at the same time. So what I'm hearing from you is you're not selling what you're really good at too. So when you go to these meetings or you get a meeting with, with a showrunner, you can say, you know, and by the way, you know, if you guys go to set, I'm really good at these things. You know what I mean? Because I worked on Big Brother, Big Brother, I worked on the stories that told this story. We were nominated for Emmy for this thing because I wrote this story. You keep bringing it back to your writing or bringing it back to your producing and how you can help them. You know, that, that would be what I would do because I go into meetings now you know, having just came off the show where I was a staff writer and I'm pitching myself for a producer, you know, because I'm showing them what I really can do, you know, and they realize quickly he's not just a staff writer based on how I sell myself. You know what I mean? So that's, that's just me personally. I'm sure Mark as a showrunner probably has something totally different. No, I, I agree hundred percent. You know, it's, Listen, you can't completely change the narrative. Right. You need to use the narrative to your advantage. Uh, by the same token, you can alter the narrative too in some way. As an example, if you feel there is too much reality on there, you could trim it. They don't have to know exactly the year you came to LA or whatever. Like, I'm just saying, and I don't know your resume. By the way, I don't stare at a resume anyway. Like, I, I'll want to know. This is just me. I can only speak to me. I, I want to know a little bit about what you've done the past couple of years. That's it. But I don't want to, I'm not going to sit and read, you know, 15 years of credits because it just, like, for me, it doesn't speak to what I'm looking for. You know, I want to know who you are. I want to know your sense of humor. I want to know what you've done in the past. And I don't think I've ever held something on a resume against somebody. If they're winning off the script, win. By the way, come clean time. For me, I'm different than most. And I think Miles knows this because we've talked about it. I generally read after I've met somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, oh, yes, because the script doesn't really, like, here's the deal. So for years, people weren't even doing original pilots. For years, specs. It was all specs. If you really think that I'm going to get impressed by somebody doing an impression of somebody else's voice? What, why would that impress me? You do a great Steve Levitan, fantastic. This is a really good modern family. It doesn't, for me, it doesn't work. I mean, you know, 
I, I, I love Elton John. I saw Elton John at Caesars. I don't want to go see an Elton John tribute dude. And that's to me what the specs are. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, is it making sense? Like, like I would rather meet you, love your vibe, love your energy, love whatever, depending on the level that you are, depending how much of a risk. In other words, if I'm hiring you as a staff writer, like, and if it doesn't work out, it's not as big a deal as if I'm hiring a co-EP and I miss on my co-EP. So I want to love you. I want to love your personality, your vibe, your story, your own voice. I don't care that you can write a really good empire or a really good Carol second act or whatever. I just don't, you know, that's just me. Does that make sense though to you guys? Uh, you're going to be told by some agents, let me see your, you know, your curb. But no, if I wanted that, I'd, I'd fucking beg Larry David to come work with me. I don't need somebody who can do an impression of Larry David. So that's, I'm different than most anyway. People hit, a lot of people kind of make fun of me for that, but that's just me. You, How did you, I get on that, Hilliard? Miles, somebody help. You and Michael are like that, though. You're exactly right. Like, I remember for to speak to Mark specifically, I wrote an episode of their show, uh, Girl Meets World, and gave it to Michael Jacobs, the creator of the show, and to Mark and whatever. <laughs> and in that same energy, they hated it. And like, <laughs> and it wasn't I, like, I mean, first of all, because like you said, you're doing an imperson impersonation of them, and they've had these characters now for 20-some-odd years or whatever. So even if you nail it, it's not going to be what they, never. it's not going to make the, gonna you're not going to make the choices <laughs> that they would have made. So like it had one competitions and everything. And like, so like in theory it was good, but it wasn't them and they're the show. So you're not going to outdo them at what they're going to do. Yep. So luckily they, like he said though, they, they love vibes and they want to know who they can spend 14, 15 hours or whatever in a room with. So they gave me a second shot and they said, you guys do you the best that you can do at whatever you story you can tell that no one else can tell and let us know what that is like. And that's what I gave to Michael Jacobs and to Mark. And off of that, that's how we built the relationship we have today. So he's. And how, how many of your scripts have I read? Uh, about the, the three or four. Four or five. Good. Yeah. And like four or five and multiple versions too. So like, yeah. You're generous. He is. <laughs> He's a giver. He's a but giver. that's it. If you, if you, it's the connection. It's the personal thing. If I'm going to spend, like I said, 14 hours a day in a room with somebody, especially if you're a low-level writer, your fucking impression of another show that exists is the least important thing to me. So who do I meet? I generally meet people uh, off of recommendations from friends or an agent that I really like and trust will say, meet this person, then I'll meet them. And if I dig them, then I'll read something. And I usually, I've hired people, you know, without even reading the entire script. You know, I'll read well, me, 10, 15 pages. Because again, if it's a, a lower level pre-WGA first job thing, I'm, it's, it's like, it's a gamble either way. Like, and by the way, it just may end up not being the right show for them. And they end up having a great career based on other relationships and other shows. Yeah. So 
but it's it's such a small investment for like I just don't what I'm trying to say is while it's your life and all that and it's a huge investment to you if I'm connected to you I want to help you I want to give you that job but I'm not going to not hire you because of your spec I'm just not or your resume um, I, I had zero or resume. your resume yeah, I had zero resume, but Michael wrote a letter of recommendation telling Disney that they wanted to hire me on their show before <laughs> it ended up getting canceled or whatever. But like resume was not important to them. I was going to say this. Um, I've been teaching this for about 15 years now. And like I said, just until, you know, two years ago, I'd never been on a, on a network shop, been on smaller shows like Go 90s type shows. Um, and I've been teaching this forever because I always say, think like a fish like what would they do right so that day when i had um the showrunner on my podcast and i told him that he should hire me on the show he sent me the script i read it and i immediately went okay if i were them what would i want to read from me and i went oh i wrote this pilot a couple of years ago that had that it was in the 80s and it had this type of tone to it and I went, what can I do to that script to make it look like that script that they just sent me? So I just colored it. For example, um, like they, they would bold their slug lines. So I went through my script and just find and bold the slug lines. It had a really strong narrative with voiceovers in theirs, and mine did too. Well, they did it in italics. So I changed mine to italics, right? Just so that when the, when the showrunner read it, they immediately felt like, did I? like this just a little color of it just in the back of their mind right and the last thing i did was i knew it took place in the 80s in the punk rock scene well i had a character that was all in black but he never there was nothing to do with punk rock at all but i immediately went well there's no reason he couldn't be so i put him in a ramon shirt and a mohawk immediately and i just went through the script and colored it so that it went back to that what i set up in the beginning you know, and when I sat down with them, one of the other showrunners immediately said, dude, I fucking thought I wrote this script. Immediately. You know what I mean? And so some people may agree and may not may disagree to that. I say I wanted to be the writer in the room who they needed in case they needed something. They'd be like, if we don't have anybody, I know he could fix it. You know, he gets me. That was my reason. So you got to figure out what's your superpower in the room. I knew that would be mine. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so I don't know how you feel about that, Mark, but that was what worked awesome. for me. That's right. But, you, know, you know, these meetings, especially for staffing, think of it as speed dating. Because you know you're not the only one we're meeting. So right. it's speed dating. It's in and out, in and out. And what's, what's that quick sell? And like on a speed dating thing, it's that instant connection. You know? You gotta, that door's gotta open, and you gotta make that person feel that they don't need to open the other doors, even though they will. Fine, I gotta open two and three. I already know one's for me. You know, it's the same with speed dating. I assume I've never speed dated, but you just <clears throat> know, you just have that connection. And then everybody else who comes and sits down with you just becomes the adults in. Peanuts cartoons. Wah, 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 wah. You're not even hearing them.
because you're thinking about the one you fell in love with, that you connected with. It's the same thing we do when we meet people. It's the same thing probably managers and agents do also when they meet people. They know in two minutes, three minutes, if it's a connection. That's what this town is. Show business is just one big giant <laughs> speed date at the Sportsman's Lodge. I don't know why I said that. Um, all right, we got a show of hands. So who's left? We got Miles. We got Skyler. You haven't gone yet, right? Uh, we got Julie. <laughs> She's just... Does everybody see everybody? So y'all know, like, Kiki's, like, jumping off the walls and stuff? She cray cray off. It's hysterical. It's hysterical. Oh, uh, she's drinking coffee, for God's sake. Yeah, she just drinking coffee. All right. All right, let's go, Julie, right here underneath Kiki. Hi, guys. Hi. Julie. Yeah, hi. Um, so I'm Julie. I um, am a dramedy writer um, for TV, and five hours what's after your What's your favorite dramedy on TV? Ooh, well, it's not on TV anymore, but Jane the Virgin was my favorite. Um, and I actually saw the guy who plays Raphael in person a couple times. Um, I wanted to go high, but I was like, uh, I'm going to act super starstruck, even though I don't really act that kind of way around celebrities anyway. But yeah, so uh, five hours after graduation, I hopped on a plane and moved out here. Um, didn't really think about it, but I'm glad I didn't. And I've been here almost two years now, and I've done everything from like work the Oscars to working on like big studio movies. Um, yeah, so my question is, so I am really wanting to start a writer's group and I've been a part of them in the past before, um, but a lot of them fell apart. So what are your recommendations for starting and then also keeping a writer's group? Ooh, I can talk to this one. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Oh, um, I've had a couple of them. Um, you, I think I've been known to be a little strict. <laughs> and it's mainly because I'm just very organized and I like things to run a certain way. You know, I like things to be structured. <clears throat> so I like to run my writer's group like I'm the showrunner in the writer's room. Um, it's the only way to get things done. What, what I've found is, and you have to have a system. You know, we're reading this person this week, this person, whatever. And people have to turn their things in. There has to almost be consequences. You know, I don't mean it to turn this like a negative thing, but it needs to feel like that. Because when you're in a writer's room, there are consequences to not having your, 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 your script or your outline or whatever ready. So I want, to, I want it to feel that way. I want people to be, um, and I like to test people. You know, like say today's your day. Um, we're, we're working on Kiki's script today and we're meeting on, and today's Sunday and we're meeting on Wednesday and I'm like, okay, by Wednesday, I need your outline, right? And you're like, by Wednesday, I'm like, yeah, you got to practice now with your speed, you know what I mean? And so that's one thing that I do. I try to keep us organized and on schedule. <clears throat> the reason why a lot of these things fall apart is because two, re two reasons in my opinion. One is, one person like myself, I write a lot. You know, I write seven, eight projects a year, right? So 
if I'm turning things around and I'm the only one with the project, that's not a good group, right? You want to be in a group where Kiki's writing something, you know, I don't just give me the first five pages, you know, something be moving forward, you know, so you got to have a little bit of organization with the group and they have to push you, you know, if you're just taking your time going, oh, it's going to take me three weeks to write this thing. You need, you need to, to you need, you need somebody to, to, to get up under you, you know, and you need to read somebody and be like, wow, this is so great. I'm inspired to go home and write, you know, and you, you want to be in a room where you have different levels of people, you know, so that somebody, one of them is a writer on a show. You know, one of them is, you know, a, a, an assistant at CAA, whatever it is. So you get different levels and you get different opinions, you know, just like you're, you're building your writer's room too, you know, if that makes sense. So, go ahead, Mark. No, just, I, I, I you articulated it perfectly. It goes back to the, the whole networking thing. You want to surround yourself with people who do what you do, who understand you. And it's a great thing. Get four, five, six, seven people, whatever, and and you know, just push yourself. Say, okay, all of us, we got to turn in our outlines in a week and exchange them. And the beautiful thing now is, again, you do it this way. You do it Zoom. You do it, you know, Skype. You do it whatever. It's it's awesome. Like it's I like I literally taught myself to do this. Like. You know, as a baby writer, I, I had no, I didn't have that group. Like I had my networking group, which were people in the business, but I was the writer of them. And, and it was very helpful too, because the first movie I sold was off a pitch because my friend happened to be starring in a movie and this idea came to me in a dream and I told him on the phone the idea and he had the producers call me. That's the truth. Um, and I pitched to the producers and they're like, okay, we're going to pay you to write it. And then the studio bought it. Uh, lucky, just fucking lucky. But I, and then when I wrote the first this draft, is the it, 90s. it doesn't happen anymore. Right? But it, it, my first draft was horrible, right. like horrible. If I had a group that was teaching me, <laughs> that's Kiki. He's, like, he's all over my little, uh, believe me, it hasn't all been glass slippers. Yes. Um, at all that you'll read the book beyond the mall by mark (laughs) (laughs) that title's not taken beyond the mall's not taken um but i wish i had that group that could help me develop as a writer um because i literally you know just did it as i went and once i got on my i think it was um I think it was one of my movies that got me my first TV job. Uh, But then I, you know, contrary to what I was spewing out as a showrunner saying I don't like specs, I had to write them. You know, I wrote one of the first I ever, I wrote a Seinfeld and I wrote a Larry Sanders. Um, You know, if you do a spec, here's one piece of advice I will give on specs. The Larry Sanders I wrote got a lot of attention because the show had been canceled for a year. It was off the air. And I wrote it, what they were doing now, since the show's been off the air. That's cute. So at least it had a fresh kind of thing. And everybody was busy working, except Larry, Gary Shandling, the late grade. He was off at a 
Zen monk monastery going the Leonard Cohen route. And <laughs> the only one who had no life was Hank, of course. I don't know if you know the show or not, but anyway. But I, I took a show and I created my own world for it. So it stood out. Um, but to, to, to what you're saying, Julie, gosh, make a group, meet people, work together, write together, inspire each other. <laughs> Kiki's like me. Hi, bring me in. <laughs> she, she's becoming, because we've had her on mute, and she's so energetic, she's probably the world's greatest mime by now. <laughs> she's just communicating without words. It's fantastic. Um, so does that answer the question, Julie? About yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Amber has no face, just the name, and I think she's from Atlanta, I think. So I'll unmute and see if, if there's an Amber there. Is there an Amber there? There is an Amber here, and I am from Atlanta. Oh, hey, hey. Side, to be precise. Um, <laughs> My name's Amber. Um, I am um, heading towards, in a couple of months, graduating from the screenwriting program, uh, MFA program at UCLA. All right. awesome. And um, as you guys know, we are in the midst of like fellowship application preparedness. And I was wondering if you had any um, advice or thoughts on how to um, maximize your entry into the fellowship space. Hilliard? Um, yeah. Are you on the feature side or the TV side? I'm on the TV side. I've written features okay. um, just in the program, of course, but I'm focusing on TV <clears throat> drama and dramedy. Because I know that UCLA, and this is for a lot of you guys, um, um, the feature, if you write features and you are in one of the big programs like at UCLA, or if you won Austin Film Festival or one of the big festivals, um, it qualifies you to get into the, um, the uh, uh, International Writers Caucus, which is associated with the Writers Guild. It's like a little associated membership type of thing, but it's in a featured, features world. So um, look into that while you're there. Okay. Make sure, I'm not, because I know you said you wrote some features and you're in the TV. So I'm not sure how that works, um, exactly what, what the recommendations are, <clears throat> but I'm, I'm, I'm almost assuming because you will get your MFA from UCLA that it probably might qualify you too. Um, but you can go on WGA.org and look at the um, International Writers Caucus and it tells you what the qualifications are. <clears throat> if you qualify, submit your, you submit, um, I don't, you submit your script, you submit, I think it's like a hundred bucks, which is about what it costs for um, um, your regular dues for people who don't make money regularly or something like that. Um, so, but in, I think in like a month, a lot of my friends have told me all of a sudden you get, you know, your, your, your writer's guild envelope, you get your writer's guild card <clears throat> and you'll be, you'll be a member. You just aren't paying dues. So while the rest of us are getting, for example, um, um, like the, during the Oscars, you get all the, the, the DVDs and all the qualification films and whatnot and the scripts, you don't get those, but you get 
all the other access to the, the, the Writers Guild. You get to come to the meetings, you get to go through the events, you get to, um, you get to, you could be uh, even on the, um, um, like, like, like on, I'm, I'm a, um, as you, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm the, um, the vice chair of a couple of committees. You, you could be one of those people, like all kind of things. So you have a lot more access, you know what I mean? So find, look into that um, as you get moving along, for sure. Oh, wow. Thank you. I really yeah. will definitely look into that ASAP. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and you could do it from here, from, from, even from Atlanta. You still could submit to that. You just, you know, whenever you get to L.A., you know, you can go to those meetings and stuff like that if you qualify. So. Thank you. Yeah. yeah I, I can't speak to it because I, I really don't know how the – all that stuff works, the fellowships and stuff. Uh, I, I know I've written recommendations before, so I know that's an important part of the package, I believe. Um, but like anything else, you know, it's all about the material. So good luck to you. Yeah. Thank you very much. All right, let's go Kiki. <laughs> oh boy. So Kiki, <laughs> what's happening? Oh, you know, it's, um, okay. Sorry, no more coffee for you. Really inappropriate. Uh, I'm really <laughs> constipated lately, and I think that this whole quarantine thing is not helping. Um, sorry, I was just like on the forefront of my mind, and I needed to share because I'm just with one person all day. Every okay. Sorry. You ain't gonna worry me. Go ahead. Uh, uh -huh. So, Jamil's question about the do's and don'ts opening with the constipation thing when you meet a stranger, <laughs> maybe I'd save it for the second part of the meeting. That's fair. You'll be surprised, though, because that's how I became friends with Pooch Hall at the gym I worked at, where he was working out while filming Ray Donovan in Brooklyn. There you go. What do I know? Uh, anyway, okay. So a little bit about me, I guess. Um, I was illegitimately created by a hood rat Vietnamese immigrant and her black, not boyfriend, her friend's boyfriend in Binghamton, New York in 1993 where I then grew up to be depressed, where then I went to college and dropped out, where then I went to an AmeriCorps service and found out, I don't wanna do anything in life that has to do with an office work. So then, of course, I became a literary agent in publishing. Um, and then I traveled around in the boroughs of New York City. I haven't really traveled around because I'm poor. <laughs> uh, and decided, you know what, let me focus on this writing thing after getting um, a hookup from a screenwriter friend, um, because who knows <clears throat> for TV, right? Um, yeah, so then I moved to LA a few months ago, right before social distancing and pandemic, and here I am, stalking everybody. Yeah. I've um, had her on my show. She's fucking hilarious, too. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm really bad at social interaction now. I've only been around one person for the last, like, two months, so forgive me, please. <laughs> Uh, I guess my most important question would be, Hilliard, how are your yes. eyebrows still so great? Mark, what about that banana bread? What's going on with that? <laughs> 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 but no, really. Um, so I have a, this problem with my pilot right now where I feel like I'm focusing too much on the engine of the pilot rather than incorporating the series engine. And I'm mm -hmm. trying to figure out now that I've been through a couple of revisions <laughs> of it, how do I tucker into that series engine sure. anyway. uh, I, I that's hard to answer um yeah. that's hard to answer like here's the deal 
whenever you write a pilot, regardless what's in your head, the reader or buyer, different than agent manager versus network studio. Network studio has to, in their head, see three to five or beyond years, right? They have to. So then it becomes this philosophical discussion of, do I do a premise pilot? Do I do half a premise pilot and a typical episode in the second act? Do I, again, my answer is unconventional. And again, I'm, I'm not Chuck Lorre. I'm not this huge. I just, just keep these characters busy for 22 minutes and make it beautiful and make us care about them and all that stuff. Here's the deal. <clears throat> Friends was an average pilot. Friends. It was decent. It became a huge hit because of the casting gods. Mm-hmm. Casting gods looked down on that project and said, here is Jennifer Aniston and Lisa Kudrow and Courtney Cox, and we'll throw in some David Schwimmer, some Matthew Perry, and some Matt LeBlanc. Ron, go, enjoy. I probably would have read that pilot and went, okay, there's a bunch of, you know, privileged people, white hanging around New York, no people of color at all. What the fuck is this? Like, I don't see it. And it was a huge show that ran forever. So without reading your pilot or without really talking to you, I can't get into the clinical of it all about the engine versus the this, that. It's, it's just words to me. Like, and, and, I, I guess I'm not a by-rote writer. Um, you know, you want there to be a good story in the pilot. You want there to be promise of years and years. <clears throat> and you want these characters to be amazing. And you want the reader to once or twice feel a nice emotional moment. That's, I mean, that makes a good pilot. Hilliard, you know, Um, yeah, more of a. As you, as you go out and pitch projects, there's always some executive going, well, what's the engine to the story? So in a simple way, it's really, if you could figure out what the through line is. So it's not just the through line of the series, the through line of the pilot. It's just that through line of the show. So, um, for example, I was telling somebody recently about um, Two and a Half Men. When I look at that engine of the story, for me, whether it's Charlie or Ashton Ashton Cooker's, Cooker's character, it's always... Somewhere in the in the in the script, somewhere they will go back to the fact that Alan should move out and find his own place. Mm-hmm. It's always in there. Every fucking episode, three hundred, five hundred episodes later, it's in there somewhere. So that is their engine, if you think about it. It's that theme to that thing that keeps it going throughout the whole story, right? So <clears throat> if your engine, for example, of your show is I'm just spitballing. I don't know what your show's about. 
it's about two women living in New York and one is a designer and one is, you know, a stay-at-home mom. The engine to the story is will their friendship ever become will they ever fall in love with each other because they've yeah, moved well, on? No, I'm spitballing, you know what I mean? And but every episode you underline that in there and it always feels like that is one thing. The other thing is your pilot has to be a lot of times people will just write the pilot and be like, here's the pilot. And then episode two, all of a sudden there's voiceovers and flashbacks and whatever that wasn't even there in the pilot. I say, set your pilot up the way you envisioned the whole show to be going. It's your example of how all the rest of them should go. So if they don't go that way, that's why you lose audience. Because audience is like, I thought this was a show about where they did voiceovers. And then the next one, you don't do them anymore. You know, just spitballing. You know what I mean? So figure out what's that, that main engine that drives the story. For example, when I'm, I'm pitching this project now um, about the origins of reggae music, and I have four different engines. And the reason there's four different engines is because there's, there's almost four different storylines. If you think about the engine as a storyline, it might help you too. So when I'm talking about this engine, I'm talking about the 60s in this world. When I'm talking about this one, I'm talking about Britain. When I'm talking about this one, I'm talking about this thing, you know what I mean? And then as I tell the story, you remember, you hear the callback to each of one of those engines throughout the entire thing. And you don't forget because I set it up so well. You know what I mean? So I don't know if that made any fucking sense at all, but I hope it did. It surely Hello. did. Hey, man, I see you. <laughs> did that make sense, Kiki? Yeah. Hey. Can you hear me? Go ahead, yeah, Mark. What? You're good. I'm, I'm done. That's all I got to say to her. I don't. I, want to I know. I thought her. Kiki started to talk again. <laughs> Kiki, did you have something else? Oh yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> She's a female Urkel, by the way. You know yeah. <laughs> just like, if you were also a real, like a beginner, 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 probably have not really learned that much about acting uh however you envision yourself as the main character of the show but obviously that's not going to be like uh you're not going to be like i'm not going to sell the show because i can't act in it is that something that you would like want to address in the script while writing the character would you give them no nah nah don't confuse them yeah (laughs) if you're selling yourself as a writer yeah sell yourself as that writer make them love the project and then if everything is going wonderfully and they're going to shoot this pilot, at that point you can go, uh, by the way, can I read for, because mm. I kind of wrote it for, and mm-hmm. so I'd like, but in the beginning, nah. Yeah, I would say look at having been somebody, I know, I know Mark, over all the shows you've been on, you've probably been in tons of, of casting sessions. I've been in over 300 casting sessions myself. And what I've found is that I think Mark is right on the money. You, you'd sit in the cast and see who you could find, who could play you, right? Like, I don't know if you guys have watched 20s, Lena's new show. I think it's fucking amazing. Um, and look, that girl, you see Lena all in her, but she's completely different. You know what I mean? Um, so imagine that, you, to me, if you don't have to star in it, 
you will find somebody. You just got to find the right casting director to find the take the time, search the freaking globe to find that person who is going to be like you. And you will. And if you're in the room and you just can't, is when you do what Mark says and go, you know, guys, let me, let me get up there and read this. Let me show you how it should look. And let the producers go, holy shit. We should test her. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's when you would turn that on, I think. You know what I mean? But I agree with Mark. I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to sell yourself as that. It's, you're just going to destroy the whole show if you're not experienced handling against a bunch of seasoned pros. Yeah. So why would you even risk yourself like that? Like, there will think be somebody the, out there who can do you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Think of the reverse. Think of how I would react in a casting session if an actor was reading and then finished <laughs> reading and said, oh, by the way, I've got some great ideas. I'd like to write the second episode and the third. <laughs> I should be in the room. It's not going to go well. That's a good one. <laughs> All right. I got Skylar right here. What's up, Skylar? Hello. How are you guys? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thank you for hosting this. Um, I am a sci-fi and comedy writer out here in L.A. I'm from North Florida. Um, here by way of Vegas, though, so it's a whole long story. Uh, I got family in Vegas. How do you? I got a place in uh, Summerlin. My parents oh. live out there. My brother lives out there and I got a place there about 10 years ago and and uh my kids are there so yeah I know Vegas yeah that's opposite of Summerlin yeah yeah the rain got high in Summerlin so I had to <laughs> move um but uh, I have a couple questions if I can uh first question um so my uh, particular uh, situation is a little unique so long story super short uh, I was uh, laid off from my corporate job back in 2019. Um, and then finally, or at the top of 2020, I got another corporate job. So got to have that day job situation. And I actually just got laid off again because of COVID-19 uh, this past Wednesday. Um, and I remember, Hilliard, you had an episode on Screenwriters Rant Room where you talked with the guy that did the new edition story. And he talked about how Abdul. He, I'm sorry, Abdul Williams. Yes, thank you. And he had spoke about how he had gotten his boss. He got laid off from his job, um, and he was like, he used that time to like write this uh, fantastic script and 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 got all these things going. Um, and it's kind of gotten me thinking during this new period of now being laid off again. Um, that maybe I, sh I should stop depending so much on corporate America to finance my day job. Uh, but I don't really know what steps I should take. I, f I feel like this should be an opportunity for me to move more towards making uh, what my career goals blend more with my day job type of thing, sort of get more into that, that, that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not quite sure how to do that. You know, you hear all of these stories about, uh, uh, assistance, you know, not getting paid and the production jobs and things like that. And it, it, that makes me a little skittish, but I don't really know, you know, what should I be doing with this second round of all of this free time besides just writing? Um, so any tips, thoughts, tricks on how I can sort of merge those two worlds? Because 
corporate's not as stable as they told us back in school. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you want to leave Hollywood. and get into the <laughs> stable environment of show business. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. Um, here's, here's, I think Hilliard mentioned this earlier. It, it, now, forget now, because everything's upside down, but get on a set. You know, the yes, assistants, there's, you know, a lot of controversy, pay, this, that. Any show that me or, you know, when I've worked with Michael Jacobs or run my own shows or whatever, our support staff, meaning the office PAs, the stage PAs, the writer's assistants, are well taken care of by us. Christmas, end of season. Bonuses. Yep. What's that? Bonuses. Bonuses, yeah. So... You know, whether it's, you know, between all of us putting in money, you know, it, it's Christmas, maybe a couple of grand per PA, whatever. Like, it's something. So we, we do our best, and, and our, we always have open lines of communication. If somebody that we think very highly of, uh, you know, sits us down and says, hey, I'm having trouble because I put in all these hours, and I'll go to the line producer and say, hey, can we bump them? Whatever. There's always ways to take care of people you value. Mm -hmm. So I say you get in, you get in as a office PA, a writer's room PA, a whatever, because I can't stress enough how many people went from doing that. Here, I'll, I'll throw three, four names out that started as PAs for us on uh, different years of Boy Meets World. Uh, John Beck. John Beck uh, created Live and Maddie. Uh, he's a, a, you know, a, a lot of kids' shows. Also actually was on that show, uh, I forget the name, the, the show uh, Kathy Bates with the weed. With the weed, oh, I sounded old there. But you know, she, Kathy Bates was growing pot and stuff. I forget the name of the show. He was on that. He was on uh, uh, Fuller House. Uh, just tons of shows. He's a very successful showrunner. He was a PA on our show. Mark Coonerth was a PA on our show. Went on to work on uh, Friends. Then he was the co-EP recently on a show called Speechless on ABC. Um, incredible career. Um, uh, Carl Ellsworth was a PA for us who went on to uh, write sci-fi features. Um, he had one big hit too, and I forget the name of it. I should do better at that. Uh, a couple of PAs and assistants from Boy went on uh, to have, uh, she was uh, Barbara Feldman, then she got married. I forget her married name. She had a great, her big run was on uh, My Name is Earl. The point I'm making is if you get in the right environment, they will help you ascend because that's what they want. We all want that. People we like, we want to do well. So you can get on a set and get as close to that writer's room. And here's some advice to what Jamil was saying about the don'ts. First day on the job may not be the right day to come and say, hey, I have a script. 
<laughs> Take your time. Do your job. If you're sitting there going, fuck, I know my value. I know how good I am. I also know I had these great gigs in corporate America. I'm now doing a fucking Starbucks run to get coffee for Blutman and Hilliard and all these other fucks. No, <laughs> you be the best coffee dude you can be at that moment because there's a line of a thousand cats that want that entry, that want that access to Hilliard and Blutman and all the other fucks. And hopefully you get with a group that aren't going to go, take this back. My latte is fucking cold. Hopefully, because they exist. Hopefully you, you're not around people like that. Hopefully you're around the good kind of people that will nurture you, take an interest in you, help you, and ascend you. So get on a set, all of y'all. If you're looking for how can I pay the bills while I write, that's how. There's another, one more story. It's fabulous. It's uh, during Girl Meets World. Miles knows uh, Aaron Jacobs, right? Yeah. Aaron was not related to Michael Jacobs, just had the last name. And uh, I believe was living in Florida. Uh, I don't know where in Florida. but And we were doing the Girl Meets World pilot. And he wrote a really nice letter to Michael. And Michael said, you know what? I'm going to get you on the phone with our line producer, Frank Pace. <laughs> and they talked and he got hired. And he, he did the, he was the best fucking PA ever during the pilot. And we offered him a job for series. And he was an office PA year one. Then he became a writer's assistant, assistant, like the second. He jumped. And then we gave him a script and he wrote a script. And so had we done a fourth year, he probably maybe would have got staffed. So the point is, good showrunners want you to succeed, and they will give you all that opportunity. So be around them. Uh, shit, to me, it's better than <laughs> corporate America. But again, I don't know everybody's situation, and I don't know everybody's need. And, 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 but if you can, be on a set. Nothing I was just going to say, that's why I was saying earlier – <clears throat> about, you know, um, if I drop it, pick it up. And I, I just mean to be the same person that, that, that Mark is talking about. Be that person who is the first person there, the last one to leave. Be the person who doesn't forget the drinks. You know, be the person who organizes things in the right way. And the more you do that, the more, the more people will want you around. The more they'll be like, you know, the more they'll be curious about you when you guys all go for a walk down to Starbucks to get a drink. You know, they'll want to talk to you and be like, so what's your story? Yeah. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and you will find that one co-EP or whatever. It doesn't always have to be the showrunner. People always think they got to go to Mark. You know, the number two guy or, or girl is also just is the next one too, you know, or their assistant. Mark is going to have an assistant. You might want to be cool with them because yeah. they have access to Mark. <clears throat> you know what I mean? <clears throat> so we spend too much time trying to get to the, the head person all the time. But there's other people. And you got to realize that the writer's room is full of eight to 10 people or 12 or whatever the, you know, the show is. And every one of them in three years are going to be producers. <laughs> you know what I mean? If they're not already a producer on the show. So you want to be in a position 
where you're remembered, you're remembered by them. They, they remember how great you were because they, they're waiting. For example, a lot of, a lot of shows, I know I'm jumping a lot, but a lot of shows <clears throat> are full of writers where like the co-EPs also have deals on other shows, you know, where they're, they're, they're working on one show, being a consultant on this show and coming in through days of room on your show, you know, and because they're developing a show for Showtime, you know, that might be picked up or, you know, they're working on the pilot. So there's so many other things going on. So if you are really, really good, they'll be like, I really like that person. They were always there for me when I needed something. I need somebody like that in my room. You know what I mean? That's how you turn around the negative of being an assistant or, you know, a low level person is you become that person who's like, if, if I can change my mind for it to not be how bad it is to be an assistant instead of how good it could be to help that person make it easier for them, you'll enjoy yourself more. Yeah. I really believe that, you know? Sure. Um, I believe I've got uh, Giovanna and Miles and Miles, right? That's it, just the three? We've covered everybody else, right? <laughs> yeah, hey, do you guys mind if I just jump in only because yeah. my kids have been waiting to do an Easter no, no egg problem. hunt? No problem. No problem. <laughs> You're up, my man. You're up. All right, cool. All right, it's coming. <laughs> so, yeah, first of all, um, Thank you guys for doing this, man. Hilliard, I've been, you know, trying to track him down for a minute. We go back a bit. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> I'm glad I got to get up in here. So also, Miles, uh, shout out to you for letting me in at the last minute, dude. I appreciate it. No problem. Um, and also, I think um, a lot of you guys have kind of asked the questions that I wanted to ask already. So I guess if I'm looking over my stuff here, so a little bit about me too. Um, I'm a former uh, Cosby fellow. Um, you know, I've been doing some light assignment work. I basically write uh, black version genre. And then I think another good way to explain what I do is sort of like black versions of 70s and 80s Saturday morning television. <laughs> so uh, I recently wrote a superhero pilot about a fat superhero from the hood who fights a weave monster. Uh, that gives you guys... <laughs> little something about where I'm coming from, but um, yeah, I guess some of the things I had was like, what's going on right now, you know, amidst the whole coronavirus thing, like in terms of how long, you know, staffing is being, I guess, spread out and then also uh, crossing the line. If there is a WJ strike, <laughs> like what's that? Is that super taboo? Is that cool? Um, what else? I think that's pretty much it. I mean, I think from being on here, it's obvious networking is a huge key. And so, you know, I plan to do a little bit more of that and reach out to all you guys on here. But yeah, what do you think going forward is like the climate in Hollywood in terms of trying to get staff, trying to get your stuff out there when everybody's kind of, you know, on lockdown? <clears throat> What does that look like? I'm going to be brief and then pass it to Hilliard. But, but I do think whether you're pre-WGA or WGA, we have one of the best unions in the world. Mm -hmm. These people are fucking superheroes. 
Mm. And if there are meetings that are open to all you guys who are not in the guild but can go, I listen, I'm not going to politicize. And, you know, Hilliard may have some people that didn't get elected that he likes. I don't know. I'm not a political guy. But I am a fan of our guild, of our mm -hmm. union. I am a fan of David Goodman. And Angelina Burnett, I think, is one of the most fucking raddest badasses I've ever She's met awesome. in my life. I just think we have incredible people. And the reason I'm saying that is because we had a scary, scary <laughs> fucking situation where we had to fire our fucking reps. Mm -hmm. And it was scary. And the guild was on it, man. They set up portals and they set up all these things and people were getting staffed. And what I found was there were more people getting staffed with no experience. Mm -hmm. There were more minorities. Incrementally, it wasn't enough, but it trended up a little, the number. It was just, there was opportunity. So during this incredible thing of firing agents and people <clears throat> freaking out, our guild found a way to get people staffed, to provide opportunity, to provide information on the, the website. Now, how does that affect you guys if you guys can't access it? Well, part of your networking is, you know, again, try and, you know, add people in the guild to your group so you have access. Off that, what's happening with the future and the pandemic and this, this, that, the next? I don't know. I don't know. But I do have trust in our leadership. Mm -hmm. And they will make sure that writers are given opportunities. I don't know what hiring will be like. You know, there may be a lot of showrunners because production is now when it resumes will be raced against the clock they may just hire people they know because they don't have time for meetings that's a possibility but mm -hmm. there also may be a bunch of showrunners that have never <laughs> run a show before that can't hire people they know because they don't know people so i don't know exactly what's going to happen miles but i do know that the writers guild of America, this kick-ass union who I love will take care of WGA and pre-WGA pre people. They really value artists. I can't answer specifically, mm -hmm. but I'd rather be in our hands, in our world, than others. Even though I don't necessarily know a lot about the others, I really love our group. Yeah. Will will writers also like look down on you? Let's say if you try to, because like you know I'm a teacher, so you know when teachers are on strike, if you were to cross the picket line, you know that's like death. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, okay. So my answer to that, I can only speak for me. Like I can only speak for me. As pro union as I am, and I love our fucking union. I'm a humanitarian before fucking anything. Right. So if you came to me and we rapped and we talked and you said, hey, dude, uh, you know, I have two fucking kids to feed and I wife and this and that and I had to do my thing. I'm like, I don't give a shit. You had to do your thing. That's me. Right. I don't know anybody else's jam, 
but I know me. I, I'm, I'm, I get that I, money. I got to take care of brothers and sisters, yep. you know, and you do you. You're feeding that family has nothing to do with your respect or disrespect for something I believe in. Right. Your family. Guess what? I believe in my two kids and my parents and my family more than fucking anything. For so sure. If I can't respect it in another man or woman. Shame on me. Yeah. <clears throat> for sure. I got it. Thank you. Um, we're in a climate. I'm actually next Sunday. I'm going to be interviewing Anthony Sparks from um, Queen Sugar, this showrunner on that. <clears throat> and we're going to be talking like this. So it's going to be different. You know, everybody who listens to my show know like, like Mark, I had them, I have, we're usually in the room together. <clears throat> Cause I think there's something about, you know, being in the room. Um, but and the reason I want to have him on the show, besides he's, you know, like my big bro, is I want to talk to a showrunner who's in a room now doing what we're doing right now as a showrunner. Mm. What is, how are you running a show like this? You know what I mean? Because this, for now, is the way we should be looking at the future, which I think is very sad. And Mark, I know you could attest to this. <clears throat> the room is a fucking amazing place. Yeah. You know what I mean? To not actually be in a room you know, we could do this. This is great to be sitting here talking with you guys, but it's not the same, you know? I agree with Hilliard 100%. The Room is my favorite thing in the world, you know, about writing and stuff. I love The Room. What it's teaching us, though, is I can still run a room and send somebody off on a draft, but know that if I need them for an hour to pitch in from their living room, we could do this little setup really right. So For this sure. is definitely broadened what we do. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, you had two questions, didn't you, Miles? What was it? Um, uh, that was one of them. I, I think <clears throat> the other one was mostly just, you know, I guess everyone's been kind of asking, like, you know, how do you get in and outside of fellowships? I'm imagining, like you guys were saying, it's just kind of like hardcore networking, do what you got to do write really good samples. And so I think I've been doing a lot of that except for the hardcore networking, you know? And so that's something that I really want to try to step into this year. And then of course now everybody's, you know, at a pandemic. So you're like, oh, so what do you think that would look like in today's climate, you know, hardcore networking? Or is it, do you have to kind of create your own networking? I think know? I think you have to do like, um, forgive me, I forget the young woman who. Julie. Um, Julie. Uh, is that you, Julie? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think you have to be creative mm -hmm. in the sense of, of how you decide to put yourself out there. You have to, you have to take risks. <clears throat> like, for example, I was sitting here thinking about, you know, you know, Miles, you have one of my favorite scripts. Mm -hmm. right the one about the the young boy in the new york and all that shit mm -hmm. mark would love that script mark you need to read his script i'm telling okay, you cool. it's fucking awesome okay. <clears throat> um and it's it's in that angel in the hood world which is why i know you love it um it's fucking amazing um and so i think you have to take the risk like what i'm doing is reaching out to like we're all we're all at a time now where where this 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 sucks, 
right, where we are. <clears throat> like Kiki just moved to LA a few months ago and now she's living in this world, you know? Um, but we're, like I said before, we're in a time now where because of these type of chat rooms, because of these um, um, times where people are at home or in their offices or whatever, you can reach out to people now. You have a reason to, but you have to be ready for them. Right. You know, you, you can't risk it. You have to try it once and you have to make sure that it fucking lands. Mm -hmm. You know, like Miles reached out to Mark, you know, several years ago or whenever it was, and it was the right thing for him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's sometimes it's about connecting to the right dot. For you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> and so you have to take those risks. I would say, like, like one of the things that I'm doing is reaching back out to all the different meetings I've had in the last year and going, oh, well, you know, I really connected with that producer. You know, they read that script. You know, we got to this point, but nothing else happened. Let me reach out to them and go, hey, check out this thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so I think I did it in the last three weeks and six people are like, sure, send it to me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Out of like 20. And I only pick a certain amount. I'm not trying to do 90 people and, you know, be, be um, organized about it. Be precise. Right. You know, and be specific and have something that you think they would want. Don't just be like, here's my new script. Make sure it goes to, you know, you have some crazy drama from the 1800s and you go into some comedy guy. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It may not be the right fit. Not that they won't enjoy it, mm -hmm. you know, but if you're trying to get staffed, it may not be the right fit. You sure. know what I mean? So, so just be calculated, you know, about what it is you're doing. Go ahead, Mark. No, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Oh, you um, leaned in like you got yeah, something. Yeah, well, because I wanted to see how I look. Do I look tired? No, I'm fine. <laughs> um, we got, I believe, two more. I'm going to go to Javon next, and then uh, yeah. Miles Warden, my man, for doing all this. You'll yes, go sir. last. Is that cool? Yes, sir. All right, Javon, are you ready? Hang on. Oops. Wait. There you. I think you're good. Okay. As pretty as I'll ever be. Um, hey, I'm Giovanna. Uh, I am a reality story associate producer, mostly in post. Um, born Which and raised is everything in LA. In reality, right? It's all about post. It's all post. Yeah. Yeah, that's where you <laughs> mostly tell the story. So yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a sci-fi fantasy dramedy writer for like like TV, um, mostly with like, mostly sci-fi with like grounded in reality um, with the touch of humor. I can't help myself inserting jokes into things that are a little bit serious. Um, <laughs> so my question is, is, well, um, actually it's, I um, submitted uh, one a script to a I had the opportunity to submit a script to a, de, a development executive um, on Friday, and you know she was like, "Great, you know," um, and she said, "I quote, I'd like to take a look at this, and we can discuss some pitch options." And me, for the last several years, I've only focused on writing, and now. I potentially have an opportunity to pitch to a development person. So I'm like, 
could use a little advice on that. Okay. I do this a lot. Um, I'll take it first, Mark, then you can grab sure. it. Sure. <clears throat> um, so there was two things that I heard, and please clarify for me. I thought I heard you say, so you submitted the script. Has She's going to read it or she read it? I submitted it on Friday. Okay. So you submitted it on Friday, and she, in essence, said, so she'll consider for some pitching stuff coming up? Yeah, something like okay. that. She'll, like, uh, take a look at it, and then um, we might be able to discuss some pitching options later. Right. Okay. So that goes back to what I was saying earlier. You submit a script, right? If the executive producer, whoever it is, loves it or likes it, they go, oh, this person can write. Let me bring them in. Now, we're in a stage now where they don't bring you in. They just talk to you like this. <clears throat> so they want to read you to see if you can write. And then they go, oh, yeah, they can write. So let me see if she'd be interested in coming in and pitch on this project that we have. Right? So then she'll go, well, so here's a couple things that we have. We have this project about two women, blah, blah, blah. We have this sci-fi project about this. And we have this project. And you go, great. I do sci-fi. Let me tell you how I could write that script. You know what I mean? Let me tell you how I connect to that script, you know, or to that, to that story. You know, that's how you'd get in and they go, oh, great. Can you come back with, with a pitch? And then you come back with a pitch. And then you put it together and you write something and you perform it for them, literally. You know, I always say write something that's about six to eight, to eight pages long that really goes through, here's the story, you know, um, here's why I want to do it. Um, here's the, the even, even if it's a movie, I still find a way to put the teaser in there. You know, I still put in the teaser. I talk about the characters, um, why you want to write it, you know, all those things are super important. If it's, if it's a pilot um, or if it's a TV show, um, Mark could probably talk even more to this, um, but I talk about, I only go up to season one and I leave it so that we can have a discussion. So I talk about the teaser, the characters, the, the, the world, you know, all that shit. <clears throat> and then I talk about the pilot and in the pilot, I'll introduce, I'll, I'll set up the world and, and dilemma and all the other stuff, but I, I'll, I'll go through the story from the point of view of my hero. And as I meet each character, that's when I'll introduce the other characters. Because a lot of times people get caught up in going, and here's all my 20 characters. And then they go through each and every one of them. I only name like the top two or three important ones. And then as I get through the pilot, I'll go through, oh, and then as he goes through this thing, we meet this character, you know, and this character is this way and they interplay this way, you know they're going to be the opponent to this thing that causes this thing to happen. And it's always cause and effect and emotion. You know, how's the character feeling the emotion throughout the whole thing? And so then when I get through that, I get to the season one and I work through season one, what season one looks like. And I just, I talk about like the next episode, I go to the middle episode and I go to the final episode. They don't need to hear every episode. You just, just a couple like think act two, act three, act three, act, act two, act three. So what happens in the pilot is act one, around midpoint is your act two, and then act three, you know what I mean? 
and make sure you really stay on character and what happens to them over that whole season, you know? And then, um, of course, you want to talk about why, why today it's important, you know, like all those little things you could squeeze in in different, in different places, you know? Not, you don't want a 20-page thing. It should, be, it should be tight. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, so, you know, you're, you're a pretty laid-back, kind of chill individual, right? My anxiety says no, but I like to think What's that? so. My anxiety says no, but I like to think so. So you're, you're going to be you in the room. So, you know, there are a lot of people that go in and pitch TV pilots, and they're all over the place. They're doing a dog and pony show, and they're animated and playing the different parts. That's probably not you, would be my guess, right? So as, exactly, so as Hilliard said, the key for you is going to be to personalize the story. And if it is, again, I don't know the show, but uh, if there is a character, whether it's the lead or somebody else, but there is an important point of view character in there that's you, make that very clear to the person in the room. That will help really make the fact why it's important to you to do this show. It'll make it resonate with the person. This is my story. I lived this. I was that 14 year old girl that got up out of bed every morning, had breakfast. My parents, my mom, my dad, whoever packed that backpack and off I went to school. But guess what? I never went to school. They didn't know. I was that girl that was meeting up with the 17 year old boy who I thought was my life and was gonna take me to a better life in a city with this, that, that was me. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Personalize it. it, really important. To, uh, really important. To what Hilliard was saying about, and I think I talked about this on his podcast, again, I'm not a rebel, but I guess I am. Like, I don't read spec scripts. I meet the person first, blah, blah, blah. I remember an executive once said to me, so what are the three seasons? Pitch out the three seasons. And I, I said, are you fucking kidding me? That's this is a few years ago. I go, how the fuck do I know what's going to happen in season three? I haven't even cast the damn show yet. You know? And it became because of the streamers, Netflix. Netflix was that guilty of it. Give us the three, four seasons. Tell me everything. I go, uh, season two is uh, Christine uh, gets pregnant and her parents kick her out. And that's season two. <laughs> really? No, because what if... Christine doesn't score with the audience and I miscast her and it was horrible and I, I can give you a really good pilot. Yep. And here's where I'd like to take it. So to Hilliard's point, I'll talk about a season one arc in brief terms. I'll say my plan for season one is where character A meets character B in the pilot and has nothing, no interest do the science project together, no interest to see them socially, no interest of friendship at all. Because 
that other character and her family stand for everything that this character and her family thinks is no good. By the end of season one, I'm going to have this character, Ray, tell her parents to go fuck themselves. This is her friend. That's going to be the arc of season one. Just something like brief. That's it. I'm not going to tell them every episode because I don't know. Mm -hmm. And all the successful shows that I was ever a part of, we'd go into ABC back in the Boy Meets World days. We would go in for the, you know, the courtesy meeting with the network execs before the season. What are your plans for this season? Corey and Topanga are going to break up, get back together three times. Okay, good. Go. I mean, that's we didn't go. <laughs> you find stories as you go. You have a character in episode three say one line that a young story editor wrote and pitched in the room and it got in the script and you're sitting there at run through and you're hearing that line and you go, Oh, here's three fucking great episodes. We can get mm -hmm. off of that one line. Mm -hmm. So again, the rebel in me goes, this is fucking art. I don't know how the painting ends. I just got to take my brush and let me create and let me paint. This needs to be in your book, by the way, Mark. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. It's down in the notes. Yeah. Um, because we're not mechanical. Writing is not mechanical. It's a free form of creativity just pouring from us. So that's my truth. I believe it's the truth. And I believe having to pitch out three seasons, I would, if you sit down with this person via Zoom and she says, I need you to map out three seasons, I would say, you know what? I don't want to do that right now. I want to talk about a really fantastic pilot and a really strong arc for these beautiful characters for season one. There's a, a pitch deck out there, and I believe I've sent it to Miles, and if I have, have, he will send it to whoever doesn't have it. It's out there. It's made the rounds. It's the pitch deck for Stranger Things. It used to be called Montauk when it was pitched. About half the things in the pitch deck were not in the series. No. <laughs> okay? So any exec that sits there and wants to hear it all, insert horrible hand gesture from Mark here. <laughs> I didn't do it. I said insert the hand gesture. <laughs> Bullshit. It's not real. But I, I also don't want to get you in trouble, Javon. <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard for a writer trying to, you know, make new relationships and impress. But I, I do believe, you know, I have a show that I, uh, Hillary knows about that because of all this I haven't taken out yet. And uh, Devon, you could show me your Jamaican colors because it's about a Jamaican family. Uh, a 16-year-old <laughs> year old female boxer. Um, and, you know, a Jamaican boxer, crazy Jamaican dysfunctional family. Um, and... Uh, how can this white Jewish guy write that? Well, I had a Jamaican nanny when I was a kid who became part of our family, who I love very much. And uh, I always said, you know, my mom was kind of messed up when I was younger. She was in bed a lot. And so we had help, mother's helper, they were called back then. Her name was Jane. 
And then she was with me and my brother for years, became part of the family. I flew her out for my wedding to LA. And then this was so cool, I think. So I had my firstborn, Liam, uh, and I brought Jane out to be Liam's nanny for a year. So this wonderful Jamaican woman was, so when I'm in the room and these people are looking at me going, the fuck are you doing writing about a Jamaican family? I talk about Jane and the impact she had on my life. And, uh, um, but I did, I will say this, I did, and people know that I was on Twitter looking for a young female uh, Jamaican yep. writer. And I did find somebody who's amazing. And I'm going to cry right now because um, I'm going to ask you for guys uh, for prayers. Her mom, she just told me yesterday, has the virus. So uh, pray for Candace's mom if you care to do that. If you don't, that's cool too. Uh, but anyway, I found this wonderful uh, young Jamaican writer. And uh, she's going to write the pilot with me because okay. it'll just make it that much better. Um, but anyway. Okay. Sorry. I love it. Um, I don't know even how we got there, but we did. <laughs> uh, but part of it is also just be yourself. If you want to tear up in a pitch, fucking do it. I, I sold a pitch three years ago um, when I was talking about the kinds of stories I wanted to tell. I teared up and they saw fucking dudes got passion. Yep. Just, you know, remember what you I said earlier. Really vulnerable. Anybody can make an audience laugh, make somebody feel. If they feel they want to be invested in the world that you are creating and they want to be invested in you. And everybody in the industry laughed at us when we did Boy Meets World. They laughed at us. And I had trouble getting work after Boy Meets World. And I, I, I did, but I had trouble until those kids that loved the show became the executives. Yep. <clears throat> but people in the industry, they looked down on it like it was a fluffy kid show, and it wasn't. We did an episode in 1995 called Sean's Secret. It's 1995. These fucking executives accused us of being a soft kid show. Corey oh. goes to visit Sean at his trailer, knocks on the door. It's late at night. Sean opens the door. And in the doorway of the trailer, Corey sees this girl wrapped in a towel, wet hair, having just come out of a shower. And he's like, all right, Sean. All right. Anything to talk about? No, you should go now. Come on. We always promised each other. When this stuff happened, we would share the stories. There's no story. Go away. And Corey soon discovered that Sean was protecting a girl. Because no Corey noticed bruises all over her arms and her father was beating the shit out of her. Mm -hmm. and Sean was protecting her. And then Corey and Sean didn't know what to do. Do we go to the police? Sean, who was the rebel kid, no, the police won't believe us. We're just a couple of kids. Well, then we got to go to your parents. Corey said, we got to go to my parents. He's, Sean's like, no. And they finally went to the parents to Corey's parents and they helped and it got resolved and she ended up living with her aunt in Vermont where it was safe. This was the fucking kid show I did. So fuck everybody. <laughs> tell your stories. Tell the stories you want to tell and fuck those who don't get it. And that's, I think, a good way for me to close this.
Oh, I got Miles. Miles, no, Miles, I got to go to you, brother. But that's the last thing I want to say is we were a fucking kid show and we told those stories. It wasn't a kid show. It was a, a show for people of all ages. <clears throat> On the surface, if you look at something, it's different. Like you said, it's all about nuance and context. That show had all of the nuance and context to make it way deeper than what it may have been perceived to be from a commercial or from whatever. But the industry didn't know that back then. Yeah. <clears throat> But they, they, know, they know now because they, like you said, you didn't have Twitter and stuff back then, which is a big thing you guys always talk about. So people didn't know the connection that you guys were making with the fan base, with people like me, a generation of writers and creators you've inspired. Yeah. And, All know. we knew when we were doing the show is, you know, we did good numbers, but we had no communication with fans. You know, stacks of mail would come in from prisons for Topanga and <laughs> go to security. <laughs> and seriously, I'm being serious. That's not a joke. I mean, that's just the real. And uh, we didn't know. And then once social media hit, all of a sudden, people like Miles, like young people that grew up on the show, started reaching out to us going, dude, you affected my life big time. Um, so anyway, Miles, why don't you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about yourself? And, uh, and again, um, from me and Hilliard, much thanks. Thanks. Nope. Thank you guys, man. Can I just say something before you start right quick, Miles? I apologize. <clears throat> I was going to say, when I got the project for RSA and Reggie Hudlin's company, the, the, the project I'm doing about reggae music back in the 60s, <clears throat> I walked in a room dressed like my old self. I had on Doc Martin boots. I had on suspenders, Fred Perry shirt. Head was shaved. And I sat down and I started telling my story and I said, what if I was to tell you I used to be a skinhead? See how everybody looked like that? I had them. See, it's a whole nother story. But I just want to say, you got to be open. You have to tell them your story. So go ahead, Miles. Uh, so I don't want to waste too much time. I know we've ran way, way over what we ah, told y'all like <laughs> but um, uh, Marcus uh, told you a little bit about me, but like I said, uh, I write mostly half hours. It's funny. I'm going to lead into this because that's part of my question just to give context for everyone. But I actually wrote an hour that got Mark's attention and Michael Jacobs' attention, um, even though, like I said, I was inspired by shows like Boys Sports, and I wanted to create shows that could touch parents and kids at the same time and teach a little but laugh a lot at, uh, while doing it. But um. That's that sample was an hour sample, and I was, but I still mainly want to work in uh, half hour shows. So I'll ask the question for everybody: uh, How do you feel about writers writing uh, half hour shows and wanting, wanting to be staffed on hour shows, or vice versa, and trying to jump lanes? Do you how much do you care about people trying to switch genres or lanes? Do you look at the character work or the person, or would you consider someone trying to do one thing and having that's read a great. It? question because it's a great question here's again there are agents and managers who'll go focus on one thing how do i sell you how do i sell you are you a half hour or are you an hour how do i sell you and i go if you're good at selling you'll sell me as a writer yep. that's my answer period i was gonna say we're at a, we're at a time now miles where <clears throat> this is actually really good for a writer who's coming up because now we have all these half hour dramas. I've written a bunch of them, you know, there's right. a bunch of half hour dramas out right now. 
And a lot of them, have, of course, have a little bit of, you know, humor to them, but they're pretty much dramas, you know? So, so you can probably get staff with an hour drama on a half hour drama. You know what I mean? It's still in this, it's all about tone. <clears throat> you know, to me, I think that a lot of, a lot of writers who do one hour dramas assume that if you do half hour, you can't do the reverse for some reason. I mean, it is a, a longer, you know, um, the format is a little bit different, especially if you come from sitcoms to single camera, they're different, you know? Um, but I think that today that your one hour can probably get you on a half hour drama for sure. Um, <clears throat> like a lot of the things that I do now, I'd say in the last three or four years, four or five of them have been half hour drama or dramedies. You know what I mean? So it's, it's totally, it's totally what's going on right now, for sure. So true. Um, yeah. Appreciate it. That's pretty much the only question I had. I don't know if anybody else had anything. Yeah, yeah, I got one. Mark, can, um, can I call you bloody? Is that a cool have name? People, have you seen people write that on Twitter? Oh, is it, is it a thing? Like, there's two or three people that, that call me bloody, yeah. Oh, that's so the answer is yes. So I happen to be that guy. I rarely get called Mark. So it's usually Blutman. It's Blutman mostly. Even my signature <laughs> on my email is just Blutman. Yeah. But there are two or three people that I've known for many years that call me bloody. You must hang out with a lot of black people because we give a nickname <laughs> to everything. <laughs> we call we call the coronavirus Miss Rona. The <laughs> Rona, she, the Rona. She got the Rona, girl. That's so funny. What, that, can I just tell you some why that's really funny? So I got I got two boys, right? Nineteen and twenty-one. Liam is uh, my twenty-one-year-old ginger. I read your chat comment, Kiki. No worries. And my younger one is, um, Miles knows him. He's, uh, he's, into, he's got like a clothing line with Dwayne Haskins, a quarterback on the Redskins. And he's probably 90% of his friends through high school have always been, uh, you know, people of color. That's just, he, every birthday, Pops, I need Kendrick Lamar tickets. Uh, Pops, I need J. Cole tickets. Pops, I need – that's his thing. So he's the one – every text from him is the Rona. He's calling it the Rona. So <laughs> you're going, yeah, we got nicknames for everything. We call him the virus the Rona. I'm like, so is my kid. <laughs> like, who, who only likes J. Cole? And he does like Drake, so don't hate on him liking Drake. But – uh, you know, I, I, in fact, Devon, I need you to get him into reggae, right? Play him a little. Uh, by the way, this series I got, Mickey Fabulous, about the Jamaican, uh, the writer that I ended up going with happens to be best friends with Stephen Marley. So we got a good kind of in for the music we want. Nice. We want a lot of Marley in the show. Nice. So. Uh Skylar had a question if you can unmute him about the fellowships real quick. Hang on. Uh, he's unmuted. He's good. Oh, thanks. Um, uh, so regarding the fellowships, we hear a lot that that's like an avenue to get into the industry. Um, this year, there seems to be a lot of changes uh, as far as what each one wants. So like before, it was pretty uniform. You get a spec or two. 
that's what you need to get in. Now it seems like everyone has like a different scenario for different requirements. Um, how, like honestly speaking, how important do you think it is uh, to compete in these fellowships? Because um, one thing, at least from what I've seen, is you, you see people who have either maybe gone all the way through the fellowships and then maybe their career hasn't gone the way that they thought it would or you know they get to a certain point and it's just not as um uh beneficial as you might think it is so how how like from you guys perspective how how much should we really be investing the time and energy to compete in these fellowships considering that now you have a different set of requirements for each pretty much each one i will just say this that i have along with michael i think during boy meets world twice we hired uh writers of color through the Disney fellowship program. And they went on to have good careers. Again, I don't know what's happening in the fellowship world now. I didn't really know then as much as the executives would say to us, here's four people that we mentored through the fellowship that we really like. And we ended up hiring, you know, two. So I think it's another viable entry. I do. Um, and, and just out of, just out of curiosity on that, um, where there's no really, I guess, polite way for me to ask this question. I'm just going to ask it. Were they hired like permanently or were they hired on where it's like a year, you know, the studio pays the salary and then after that they get. Oh, well, the studio did pay the salary the first the year. Hire. Yeah. But uh, one was, uh, oh gosh, this is so long ago. Um, Erica Montolfo? Yeah, that's it. Anybody know that name? She had a really, really successful career. We <clears throat> hired her out of the fellowship on Boy. She stayed two seasons. I think season six and seven or five, six and seven, something like that. So, I mean, I think, it, you know what, Skylar? I, I think like anything in life, there's going to be, you know, happy stories and some stories that didn't work out as well. Um, I do think there's merit to these programs, but I also think it's extra work for y'all and a tough struggle to get in. But I think know, I was just going to say scripts yeah. and all that. Go ahead. I was going to say it's 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 more difficult now to get in than it's ever been. Is it? Yeah. Because there's so many you know writers who want to get in, but what I'm learning is because I'm really close with everybody at in, at Disney, um, is that not only do they look at the script, but they also look at the letter that you wrote, you know, that personal letter of why you should get in and then your letters of recommendation, like all that stuff counts. Yeah. <clears throat> so for some reason that they sometimes even have more warrant than the script itself is how well you write that script. They want to know who you are. That's why I keep, you know, trying to plug it in your head as you pitch yourself, you keep figuring out exactly who you are as a writer. <clears throat> so that you have no problem saying it anytime you have your little 30 second spiel on who you are, you know, as a person and as a writer, where you're from, boom, you know, you just get it like immediately. And that's really what, what, what they're looking for is you to tell some story about yourself, you know, be open and tell them a real, a real trippy thing, you know, about growing up in South Central or, you know, or, having, you know, some sort of an illness that you've overcome, you know, those are the things that they're looking for, you know, for sure. Um, the other thing I was going to think about was um, these, 
these fellowships are there's there's different ways in you one way in is next this year mark sells his show right say we're done with the coronavirus god's will <clears throat> and corona uh, the rona <laughs> um say we're done with the rona and <laughs> Um, all of a sudden, um, you know, Mark is about to get staffed, right? So let's say this time next year, he'll be staffing, like if he gets to show up, because they got to go through the pilot first and blah, blah, blah. So um, what's going to happen? So now you have an end to Mark, right? Through Miles, you say, hey, Miles, I was on that thing. I have the perfect script. Can you help me submit to him? Right? That's one way, right? And Miles is going to be going, no. I got to get that gig from Mark, so I'm only going to Let me, let me email him my script first. Let me find him. Backseat of my car. Dogs <laughs> eat point. dogs. I got you, though. As soon as I remind him that he said he was going to get me, right. then I got you. It's an order, but I got <laughs> And so, look at Kiki. <laughs> look at Kiki. Okay. Anyway, so, so – there's the, what I'm telling you is it's all about relationships. So you get into the Disney program, the NBC program, Fox, um, Writers on the Verge, you know, all these different programs that they have. I think almost all of them have one. Nickelodeon, you know, they all have one. <clears throat> so you get into one of these programs, they give you some access now, right? They have these, they have meetings every week. They have, you know, all these big executives and people and showrunners come into their meetings. Um, to talk to you guys, you guys get to put a face on who these people are. So they're, they're good. And at the same time, you're working on a script or two, you know? So it could be positive for you. It could also be a negative because they almost want you to focus on your work and not even try to get staffed. They want you to be focused on the program. You know what I mean? Where you could have missed an opportunity to get onto a show, you know, through, you know, some happenstance that happened. So there's good and there could be some negative, but I would say there's probably more positive. I think there's only one or two of them that pay, you know, the problem is like, for example, you have like, I know Miles and Devon, you guys have kids. So I don't know how much money you guys need to live, but if they only pay you $50,000 a year after taxes, 35, you're not making no money. You know what I mean? So what? You want to say something, Devon? Um, my kids are grown. Grown-ass um, grown, grown. I'm just and generalizing. I'm retired, so I get two checks just sitting on my tail. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Where am I 10%? If your kid is 30, then how, how old are you? Um, yeah, you don't look your age. Don't tell nobody if you don't. <laughs> I'm 47. Hey. I lived through the south side of Chicago. I didn't think I was going to make it past 18. So I'm 47. I'm proud to say. That's what's up. That's what's up. And um, I fought through four wars. So I made it back to my Iraq twice. Wow. Afghanistan. So, hey. Five sand stars. 47. I'm, I'm, I'm Gucci. And I, everything here. Everything here. That's what's up. <laughs> um, so let me finish my thought. Here's you can finish it, Mark. Thank you. Is, um, so, so just remember that, that there's all kind of different ways in. You could be sitting at a coffee shop in LA next to Mark and Mark's about to staff. You guys start having a conversation. He'll be like, you know what? Send me a script. It can happen. You know what I mean? Those things do happen. So there's no way in. The way I got in is not going to be the way you got in. You know what I mean? None of us in this room right now 
are going to say that we all got in the same way. None of us, you know, Mark didn't get in the way I got in, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's get, we're all going to be different. There's, so a, I say, there's a young girl, there's a young girl uh, <laughs> from Canada who's here with her husband um, about a year and a half ago, two years ago. She said hi to me at Sushi Bar in Santa Monica, the place I hang out. Then asked for my info. She said she was going to be moving here, whatever. I heard from her like a year later, and I've been helping her and mentoring her, and she's got some stuff going. But here's what's really cool. Here's what's so dope. She's got a bunch of uh, friends who are trying to get established uh, in, you know, shooting commercials, videography, all that stuff. They ended up doing commercials for my kids' clothing line with Dwayne Haskins for free. And they did some really dope commercials. So the world, if we live our lives the way we're supposed to, which is inclusive of each other as human beings, not color, not religion, race, other, inclusive as humans, connect, makes everything so much easier. And you know, not every, like, yes, I talk too much. And yes, I go to restaurants alone all the time and talk to whoever is near me. But that's how I connect. And it works for me. I meet awesome people that way. Um, and that's why, like, the night Hilliard and I connected, we were, like, just kind of carrying this panel and dug what each one was saying. And, and we've got a, you know, pretty solid friendship growing. That's the key for, for y'all. Just, you know. And it may be out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And maybe you don't want to go to a sushi bar and have a sake or two to loosen you up so you could say <laughs> hi to some person who ends up staffing a show or needs a new assistant or knows someone who – maybe it is out of your comfort zone. There are other ways to find success too. So I'm not saying that if you don't have the wherewithal to say hello to me at a sushi bar, if you don't know me – it doesn't mean your career's over. You know, just keep writing awesome stories. But I just believe in that when Hilliard and I peace out, you've got this incredible group of people that we've spent. We want to do 90 minutes. Over three hours. 90 hours almost. What day and is it? Because of you all. You guys are all. Yeah, Kiki, it comes right through. Um <laughs> You guys are all amazing people that share the same passion that Hilliard and I do. And now, if you want, y'all got each other. And I guarantee if you exchange stuff and material, somebody's script is going to get a little better than it was before you let somebody in this group read it and give their opinion. I guarantee <laughs> that. So I want to say thank you to you all for showing up. And uh, much success. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm, I'm easy to find. One love, Devon. Exactly. I'm on Twitter, too. Hilliard, at Hilliard Guest. You guys can listen to my show, Screenwriters Rant Room at gmail.com. You can email me. Also, Screenwriters are, are on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. All that shit. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, Miles. Peace out. No problem. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Thanks, Miles. Thank you. Stay healthy, y'all. Stay healthy.
For sure. Stay home. Thank you. Good job. Yeah. See what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind in the business, got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerd got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring no game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room.